Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. And joining me, I have Brenna Calvert. Brenna, say hi. Hello, hello, everybody. So we just got back from Kuwait yesterday, or for me, it was like early this morning, and I still haven't slept yet. But we wanted to get this recorded and get this out to you as soon as possible to kind of share our experience. Uh, before we get to that, though, a quick word from our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Squirrel's Nut Butter. So if you're having some chafage issues while running, whether it be training or racing, you can pick up some Squirrel's Nut Butter. They have it in like a deodorant stick, so you can kind of apply it without getting your hands messy, or they also have it in a tub. In addition, if you like icy hot type stuff, they have something called uh, Born to Rub. So it's like a vegan you know, paste, essentially, you put on. And it, you kind of kind of feel the heat on it when you apply it to your skin. So I got some of that. I got some of the Squirrel's Nut Butter. I used it this past weekend at the Hannibal Race in Kuwait. And I've been using it for a couple of my training runs where, you know, I know I have a couple of pair of shorts that really tend to bother me. So tried it out on those, and it's been working great. Yeah. And Brenna's doesn't hasn't tried it yet, but we got some for her. She's going to get the weekend of Endure the Gauntlet, which is... By the time this comes out, it'll be like a week away. And that's what a perfect weekend for the anti-chafing nut butter because I'll do some miles with you. So probably going to need it then. <laughs> yeah. And I just said endure the gauntlet, but I meant OCR mill. As you can see. Yeah. As you can see, the sleep, the sleep deprivation is going real well here. All right. So <laughs> Who knows, by the end of this podcast, we might just not release it. It might be delirious. Yeah. <laughs> So this episode, we're going to talk first about Hannibal Race Kuwait, kind of focusing on the race itself and the experience, since this is an OCR podcast. And then the second half of the episode, we're going to get a little bit more into our trip uh, to kind of highlight some of the things that make made this more unique. So if you're just here for OCR, definitely listen to the first half. If you want to know a little bit more about the whole racecation, which is uh, to me was really what makes it special, then make sure you listen to the whole thing. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the race, right? So we flew over to the to the race. It's an eight-kilometer race. Uh, Brenna, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hannibal Race, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, eight kilometers wound up being it's you know close to five miles. So it was, I think, um, roughly varied, like shy of four and a half, four point three, with our watches, depending on who you were asking. Um, amazing. So this was the second Hannibal Race that I have done personally. First was in Lebanon. Uh, this one, imagine the desert. So, I mean, it, it's sand. So, like, beach sand. It's not packed or hard. It was all soft. And, I mean, to paint a picture of the very first thing, I don't know. I expected desert, and I was thinking flat because, I don't know, I've never been, and that's what I thought. Oh, no, the very first thing we have when you, like, go from the start line is a straight-up mountain hill, and it's all sand. So, um, that was a great start to the race. I'd say it was what, maybe a less than a quarter mile up the hill, right, Evan? Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't start out too steep, and then right at the top, it got kind of steep. And running on sand, the whole race, um, that changed for me just the dynamic because it wasn't technical terrain with gravel, it wasn't like tricky footing, but your feet were sliding, it worked the hip flexors, different parts of your body, just because I'm not used to my entire foot shifting and sliding the entire way. Um, I wore Innovate Rock Lights, I believe, that were amazing. Um, they worked grip-wise. I mean, really, I wouldn't say it's slipping because of mud, but I was, you slide. I, I can't reiterate the sand enough. Uh, running downhill on sand is my new favorite thing. There was a really good, like, steep downhill portion that I love downhill anyways, but on the sand, you could just really fly. Let your arms flail, and it was amazing. Um, but basically, they have your variation of basic obstacles. So we start out at the top of the hill. The very first thing, once you peak the hill, they have, like, I'd say just the curtain to the rest of the course. And they have these, like, big heavy chains hanging down, and you just kind of run through the chains. 
and then take off. And that's where you literally just opened up and took off um, and do some good running. They mixed in some walls. There was like a, a over wall and under wall, through wall, uh, monkey bars. Um, what else was back in that back section? They like they made a tunnel, kind of again. It was straight sand, so they built like a tunnel to crawl through that they filled with some very lovely bouquet smelling dirt. <laughs> 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 Definitely didn't smell good. Let's say that. Um, and Did you say the tunnel? Oh yeah. So um, I feel like Conquer the Gauntlet family would recognize it. I ran up to it and I was like, oh, that's familiar. It looked like rubber roadblocks. So basically tires strung together going vertically up a wall so you you know climb up the tires up and over and it was pretty high i mean i'd say 12 14 feet up in the air 14 16 feet up in the air it was it was tall um and the terrain i mean again it was way more hilly through the whole thing i thought after the first climb it was going to level out but it just kept changing and um there was like these big old ravines and like canyons almost to look at as we were running along and winding through the course. Uh, And then as we start making, I would say the back half of the course and like the descent, making our way down, which I just kept thinking, okay, we're going to head down soon. We're going to head towards the festival area where there's like the gauntlet of obstacles. Um, They had a barbed wire crawl, very low barbed wire. I mean, I tried to initially make a roll and start rolling Nope, couldn't do that. You had to low crawl. Um, that was the downhill run portion. And then it was really cool. They had quintuple steps thrown in the race. And this was not there in Lebanon when I did it at Hannibal Race. So this was new to see. Um, and they were actual, like, separate quintuple steps. So big squares, like the American Ninja Warrior style set up. Um, and I was actually really nervous because... At Hannibal Race, you attempt the obstacle once, and then there is a burpee penalty. Um, so I really was not wanting to do burpees. And the quintuple steps with, like, sand on your shoes, I was kind of expecting to, like, face plant, to be honest. I don't know about you, but I was worried that I was just going to slip right off because it was just a painted wooden structure. Um, but didn't, so that was awesome. Loved seeing those there. They added a balance element, so it was just a really nice um, kind of, four feet off the ground balance beam. Um, but again, that was not in Lebanon, I don't believe, if I'm mistaken. I don't know. Yeah, that uh, was new. Yeah, so that was exciting because I, I love balance. And then they had a nice little like tunnel crawl, um, mud mounds, and that's when you headed into the final gauntlet of obstacles. So this is like, uh, I always say it wrong, the Battle of Kanae. Kanae? The Kanae? Yeah, so that's what they call their, like, festival area gauntlet of obstacles that we would be familiar with. Um, You finalize the course, and I mean in the last, like, maybe, like, less than a quarter mile. I don't know. You come to a big A-frame cargo net, really tall, big structure to see, so it catches the eye. Um, And it's it's funny because we're used to – I'd say most cargo nets in the U.S. or standard races that we go to even in Europe – you kind of have a standard size of square on your net. Well, I want to say they made their net personally, I think. So the squares are really big. And there's even a picture. I think I, like, slipped and missed the first square and had to make some, like, adjustments. So for short people, that's probably different and would throw you off. Um, and, Evan, do you want to explain what, what we did over the cargo net? <laughs> yeah, so we get to the cargo net, and just like pretty much all OCR athletes in America, right? We get to the top and we do the normal flip. You lean over and you flip. And as soon as we flip, the volunteers start yelling at us. And they're yelling in Arabic, so I, I can't understand what they're saying, but they're clearly not happy. And, and we're you know, separate. Like, Evan was first, and then I'm a few minutes behind. We both did it. <laughs> and they're like yelling, and we're like, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want me to do. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to keep running, you know? And you know, it's like it's like I did I did the obstacle already, so it's not like I'm gonna go back and like redo it without flipping. Um, but yeah. yeah, and what was funny well, in Lebanon, yeah. they like were cheering, right? Yeah, in Lebanon when we did it, people went nuts. People thought it was great, but I guess in Kuwait they were they they were not happy with us. But um, but side note, before I finish the obstacles, we did talk to Amin, the owner of the race, afterwards, and he was like, "Yeah, I told the volunteers and the um, staff that." Prana and Evan would be flipping and like to expect it, but of course, I don't think 
that translated days later to remembering. So yeah. it was kind of comical because Evan and I both got in trouble. And, of course, Evan's wife was sitting there and, you know, like taking pictures and kind of got to witness it and giggle at us. But um, anyway, so we did the cargo net. But also, we I think both did the same thing. They had an eight-foot wall right there, and we both kind of flipped over that. And I remember, like as I was running up to it, the volunteer was like, "Okay, you can do this. You got this." And I jumped over and I did my normal flip, and they're like, "Oh, are you?" You know, like trying to wave, and they were confused. Was I okay? And had never seen that. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a picture of both of us doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my wife was taking pictures basically nonstop, so it was pretty funny. After the race, I was comparing the pictures, and it's. It's interesting to see the, the the two of us are are forms and how how much alike they are at parts and then occasionally how different they are. But there's a lot of similarities on like efficiency and you know like where we attacked the A-frame cargo net right. Like we went to the edge because that's where the rope is tightest and uh, it was the sh- also the shortest path. So you can see us taking the same path on a lot of different things. And then again, you, like you said, with the eight foot wall, you know, kind of getting your upper body over and then planting that hand and actually flipping over. So. It's like we're on a team and we have techniques that we share together and train together. It's weird. Yeah, that is weird. It's like we share them on Tuesdays <laughs> on Facebook. Anyways, carrying on. Um, so what else? There was a tire jump thing. So they had like tires stacked together. Yeah. And I must say to like interject to the volunteers and staff at the race, was they were awesome. Every obstacle had attendance one or two and they were all cheering and paying attention and directing and calling rules and monitoring for like feet touching the ground and doing them correctly. And I will say that almost every volunteer obstacle I passed, um, the person spoke English to some extent because they were cheering in, in English or I understood what was happening, which again, that's just, you know, to paint a picture for you, for everybody listening, that it definitely, I mean, we stood out as, a couple of the only Americans that weren't there military-wise. Um, so definitely, did, I personally don't know any commands in um, Arabic, and you taught me a couple of the countdown, but that was it. So that was cool that they were cheering and, like, go over the tire wall, and they're like, jump, you know, like, jump high, you can do it. And then we round the corner, and they have um, this big, just a really nice, it catches your eye structure. It's great for uh, media and banners from sponsors, but you basically – run up this really kind of skinny, kind of wobbly ladder, <laughs> and it's very high in the sky, and then you cross, run across the platform, and then you go back down the ladder, and underneath that is their rope climb. Um, and again, they kind of differentiate their rope climb. It's the skinniest rope climb I've ever done, personally, in a race. I don't know about you, Evan, but... It's it's one of the skinniest. It's just like the one at, a, at KC Timber Challenge has a very skinny rope, too. So I mean, I'd say it's like an inch rope because normally I think an inch and a half is standard. Yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know. It it was it, it was thin. The harder it is, so it made it a bit harder. Um, and it's pretty tall, so we have some cool pictures of us under that, like the platform doing the rope climb, and then the rig, correct? Which was yep. um, new for what I had an experience in Lebanon. They had a rig set up, and it's like. Okay, cool. Very deceiving because it's all rings. And again, if you look at the pictures, some of y'all might be like, oh, the rig's just rings. Big whoop. Well, um, there were no defined lanes. So, like, normally you walk up to a rig and there's four lanes and you can see straight down the lane and the holds are all in order and you know what path you're going to go down. And you usually have to stick to one path. Well, not the case here. So they were pretty far apart, I'd say at least four feet apart. Yeah, they they were they were about the width of the CTG one. So like you kind of you need to pull back on the last one to get momentum to reach the next one. So a lot. So basically, like double the length of a normal platinum rig hold, I would say. And you and you had to almost swing one handed to get the full extension. Um, and so Evan and I, like you know, pre race, we're looking at it and thinking, okay, we're both gonna go at like a zig like a z zigzag through it because there's no way you could just go straight and i mean evan sailed through it there's an awesome picture of him it looks great and no problems first place woo well i come to the rig (laughs) and typical brenna fashion i made it look really hard because i was on the struggle bus 
And I went through, I think, like, two or three of the first rings, and then it was, like, the big turn transition. And I swung, and I just barely missed it on my first try. So then I'm, like, re I re-gripped both rings, um, and I used, which, I again, good technique is the back pull with your, your back arm. You kind of, like, bend it and pull back to get that swing again. Um, I did that and tried again, and I missed again. And I'm just, like, dangling, and I'm starting to laugh in my head. I don't want to do burpees. This is at the finish line in front of everyone. Everybody's cheering. Um, I thought I thought you were done for for a second. You had both hands on one ring, and you're basically, like, hanging still. And and then what – Switched to two hands, and I was thinking, like, come, thank you, Yancey Camp, grip obstacles here, because I started to try and, like, use my hips and swing. Nope, couldn't do it. At that point, I had to, like, switch directions. I finally got it, but let's just say it – Way more effort and way longer than I should have been on there, and it scared everybody, myself included. <laughs> I'll say from an outsider's perspective, you could tell you were an experienced OCR athlete because you know you, when you got stuck, you know most people who get stuck would just kind of keep on kicking and flailing and not going anywhere, but you actually went backwards. So you reached back to the old ring that you were previously on and used that, as again, to gain momentum to make it across, which you eventually did. So, yeah... Th- the rig was the rig was deceivingly hard. Um, I, I made it across first try, no problem. But I was definitely I was definitely reaching. You know, like I didn't feel I didn't feel like oh this is you know right in my comfort zone of like where I can reach. Like I remember being like all right, I'm going for it, and like really kind of put my arms out there. Well, that's what I'd like to see that everybody pay attention. I mean. I have some contacts with build crews. So I might try and implement that in someone's rig somewhere. <laughs> And then after you come off of that, there's a essentially it's a pit filled with water and ropes overhead, so you have to essentially low crawl through the water. But the thing was, they've had this at other events, and at other events, like I I know there's one in my Instagram, I can repost it. Like you know, I basically kind of turn my head sideways and just kind of slide it under the ropes. They had this thing so high with water, you had to completely submerge essentially. You know, when your heart rate's going you know, near max and you're, you're sticking your head underwater. It's, um, it's rough. It reminded me of like the cage crawl from Tough Mudder. So it was, you know, like I, I, like I was gasping for air coming out of that. Well, see, Evan was smart and like went all the way under. I was kind of just paranoid, petrified. I don't know. It was really funky water. And then I, I messed up anyway. So I was trying to like stick my head sideways and go. And then I wound up swallowing a mouthful of disgusting water. So Definitely should have gone underneath, but it was really full. It was funny. <laughs> Good way to finish it. And then there was a fire jump, and then you make a sharp U-turn, basically, and that's the finish line. So yeah, it's kind and of and all p- very spectator friendly right there in that festival area was awesome. Um, for those, I mean, we just ran through a really quick course, but um, definitely check out on the Strength and Speed Facebook page, correct? I believe Evan put yep. together an amazing, which is funny because we went back on course for a second lap and took a bunch of, I was doing live feed and Evan was taking pictures and a ton of little video clips. Got back when we were done and in no time, I think like hours after the race ended, Evan had put together a really nice recap video and it pretty much shows from start to finish line. Like we pretty much went through the whole course and we might've missed a couple of walls, I think. Yeah, we miss we miss some stuff on the backside, the over under throughs, and a couple of walls in the back, and a couple like the mounds and uh, kind of pits and stuff like that. But we got we got most of the interesting obstacles on there, so you can head over and take a look at that. Yeah, and I was I am pleased. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not the best quality, but the fact that I can you know I did the, basically did it all on my iPhone and edited it on my iPhone, edited the music, and published it online within like a couple hours, I think is a pretty cool a pretty cool thing. So yeah. And we were basically, we were fighting the like time zone of being nine hours ahead. We just wanted to bring you guys coverage. But I mean, there were a few of y'all that were awake at four in the morning, which was bizarre. So <laughs> hopefully everybody saw some videos. Um, but Evan, talk about like the festival area real fast because I feel, I mean, it's pretty awesome festival. <laughs> yeah, the festival area was cool. I mean, they, they laid down essentially, I'm going to use the term like AstroTurf. It was green grass, fake grass basically covering. And they had a bunch of vendors there that were giving away free samples of potato chips and popcorn and stuff like that. Um, what else do they have there? Um, 
Red Bull was there. They had amazing sponsors. So, like, the sponsors alone, red, giant Red Bull tent. Um, I think, like, Quest Nutrition. Yeah. They had a media company, like, event company that kind of was their co-sponsor. And so I think there were, like, drones going around. They had a big stage with people. I think in the beginning of the event, they had, like, a workout warm-up kind of that everybody joined in as a group if you wanted to. And they warmed up a bunch of the racers together. Um, there was like a photo wall that had a you know eight foot wall with their big um, emblem on it that people got to pose and take photos in front of and like a I survived Hannibal race picture backdrop, um, loud music and I mean it it rained in the, in Kuwait in the desert. Yeah, it rained like every day we were there, which is I think more times than I've ever seen it rain in Kuwait cumulative. So do not pack. I did not pack my dry robe, which means it has to rain. So, tisk, tisk, tisk. Yeah. it was perfect. I had my dry robe and it was chilly, 60 degrees. <laughs> it actually was, yeah, it was kind of cold with the, with the wind and the rain. And uh, yeah, it was a little chilly. So, so getting into that kind of the culture and the dynamic, like talking festival and race and the weather, explain. So, like, we see, you know, all sorts of clothing and, underdressed overdressed but i mean i kind of had the statement to you there when i looked around first i stood out because i was in my bright colors but what about like the finisher shirt what did you notice and we kind of said about the finisher shirts there um oh everyone was wearing their finisher shirt at the start line is that what you're talking about yeah yeah like i feel like in america that's like a social faux pas, like a race social faux pas you're not supposed to wear the finisher shirt until like after the race is over or later in the day but, like, everyone was wearing that shirt at the start line. It was like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing here. But um, They got it at, like, a packet pickup, but they were yeah. jersey material. And so, like, everybody looked alike, <laughs> like, jerseys and shirts. <laughs> yeah. And they all had, like, because it was cold. Evan was saying, you know, I mean, it's typically really hot. So I everybody was in, like, long sleeves and gloves and fully dressed. And even Evan was like, I think I'm going to keep my shirt on because everybody else is dressed here. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it was like, like I think it was like 60 degrees, uh, raining with some wind. And, you know, I think the, one of the best lessons for, you know, doing the culturally appropriate thing, I feel like you, you just pay attention. And you, you look around and see what other people are doing. And when we lined up at the start line or at the beginning of the day, you know, normally I race shirtless pretty much regardless of the weather. And I looked around and everyone had a shirt on and I was like, all right, racing in a shirt today. And then on top of that, I have like a you know, Orthodox cross on my back. So, you know, country's primarily Muslim. I, I felt like that was, you know, I don't think anyone would have had anything negative to say, but I just feel like it was more respectful to keep the shirt on. So, so well, I did. Exactly. And, and like you said, we were there, I mean, not to say anybody, would, I mean, I had a tank top and was ready to race. Like I brought options to, again, pay attention to the culture that I'd never been a part. So I had a tank top if I'd worn it, no one would have said anything. It was no. everybody was so hospitable and so amazing and so welcoming. And same with you, if you'd raced without your shirt. But we were being like, our hosts brought us there, so we wanted to respect and do what we could to respect the cultures and things. So I mean, I wore my short sleeve jersey, and there was other instances just you know around the hotel with things that we can talk about later. But like the bathing suits and stuff that it was very welcoming and polite, and no one would have judged us. But we're also able to kind of look around and be like, hey, we don't need to stand out completely. <laughs> and like, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and later in the day, so the, the base is kind of – oh, I mean, I'm sorry. The race was near several American military bases that are in Kuwait. And the kind of the later waves of the day had a bunch of like U.S. Army and um, some Navy and Marines, stuff like that, soldiers show up and race. And besides them being white – you know, very blatant Americans, like, you know, they, a lot of them were shirtless, which I was like, yeah, probably, you know, like, again, like, yeah, I would kind of respect the culture a little bit more, but, you know, it's what it is. And again, no one said, no one said anything to them, but, um, we were at the beginning of the day when we were there when we, we did, when we did our race, it was primarily locals, right? Like the first wave of the day was Kuwaiti military. And then the, the, you know, the next couple waves were essentially the elite waves, but I'm pretty sure everyone got timed all the way up until the last wave. So I, I think they were still recording all those times and kind of staggering them into the finishing results. But, you know, the race started off, like we were saying, with that uphill climb. And, you know, my plan was to kind of take it easy and not spike my heart rate too high on that climb. 
so that's what I did, but I ended up uh, kind of leading almost the entire climb. At one point, someone passed me, and then I repassed them before we hit the top. And then once we got to the top, it, I knew we were going to be primarily be on flat. You know, like Brenna said, there were some hills and stuff like that up there. So you're a little, you're always kind of descending or de- ascending or descending slightly. But I knew it was primarily flat. So once I got up to the top of the hill, I just opened it up, right? And I'm, I'm running, and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm gaining on people. I feel like I'm putting a pretty big gap. I get to one of the tire wall obstacles, and as I'm coming down, the second place guy is right there. And I was like, oh, I better, better pick it up. So I keep running. Like Brenna said, it's about a four point. 3, 4.4 mile course-ish. And at one point, probably about three miles in, the course U-turns actually like onto itself. So you can actually like see where you just came from. And now Brenna had been warned that there's a female coming who is the Kuwaiti 10K champion. And she runs a 35-minute 10K, which is fast. And I'm waiting at the start line. Like, I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm like, all right, I don't see anybody, I don't see anybody. And then, what, like, 10 seconds before we take off, they introduce, like, hey, Bruna, this is the 10K champion. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, so w- we make this U-turn, and I'm in first place, and I look back, and I see second place male, and who's running next to her, him? But the first place female, right? So, like, I was like, Oh no 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 no! I did not fly across the world to get chicked. I was like, this is, this is not gonna happen, right? So I I just start, I start running harder and harder and kind of putting the hammer down. And I ended up coming into the festival area. And I was like, I know if I can get to the festival area first, I can maintain the lead because I'm generally more efficient on obstacles than p- other people. And uh, I think that's what happened. I ended up uh, beating the second place guy by a minute. He was from UAE because he had a, or at least he was wearing a Spartan. Uh, United Arab Emirates shirt on. Um, and that was kind of one other thing that I thought was really cool. I think in in Lebanon, I feel like everyone was just kind of wearing whatever, T-shirts or tank tops or whatever. For this one, people had, like, what kind of jerseys you would see at, like, OCR World Championships or, you know, like, Legendborn or Akuma-style jerseys where it had, like, teams and stuff like that, like, you know, Kuwaiti Spartans and UAE Spartans and stuff like that. Because uh, Spartan's a pretty big company in the Middle East. Uh, they're, it's kind of like a franchise. Ex-Dubai owns them. So they actually put on the races. So it's not going like, to be exactly like the Spartan races you'd see in America. But there is a Spartan brand that uh, travels through the Middle East. And then there's Hannibal Race, which spans a couple of countries. So Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, and Kuwait now. And then there's a couple of kind of local brands. Um, most of them are based out of Dubai. Um, but I think there is one other... Kuwaiti brand that I looked at at one point, but I don't think they hold races as regularly. No. But yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was the, the I'm gonna say it. It's the upset of the year because I was certain Brenna was gonna win and I was gonna come in like fifth, and I came in first for the men and Brenna came in second for the women, and we're only two. We're only two. Mo- we're only two months into the year, so I'm going to say this is the upset of the year, and I feel confident that's a true statement. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, and so to, like, my take on the race was, yeah, here's, they finally, the girl shows up at the start line, and um, there was also another female from uh, Angelique, I believe, from Russia, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, Moscow, I think she said. Yeah, so uh, she... I, she looked familiar. I think she. we talked briefly before the race. She ran some Spartans. So I, there was some competition around, and we take off. And, um, again, up the hill, I didn't want to die, but I have been running more inclined than ever before in my training. Thank you again, Nancy, my coach. Love it. Um, and I stuck with – not, like, with you, but there's a photo, and I was, I think, like, fourth like I I took off and I was right in second like until the hill and then we go up the hill and I maintained like top five I think I was fourth up the hill um which was surprising and then um I stayed in the lead for like a brief minute maybe less than a quarter mile total and then the girl just like passes me and I mean she's just booking it immediately and I was like okay well awesome you know we'll see you later thinking okay hopefully there's a an obstacle that stops her up top um but immediately after that, I see her. She's just looking, going for Evan. And I know Evan had a lead at this point, but I kept thinking, I was like, she's after him. And I kind of came to a, like a U-turn spot where I could see that she was with the second place male. 
And it was just in my head, I was thinking, oh my gosh, Evan's going to turn around and see this female there. And I just was laughing, but also knew I, I did my best. I didn't let up. I tried to catch her, but, um, she, I think wound up beating me by four minutes, I believe, uh, by the finish. But I think she was, I think fourth, third, fourth overall. I mean, her time held up very nicely for the overall finish, uh, very fast again. And the fact that it wasn't mandatory obstacles, I would have liked to have seen how the rig would have gone because I think, correct me, you did say she had to do burpees at the rig, right? I think so because she was she was close to me when we entered the festival area, and then uh, I ended up beating her by several minutes. So I'm I'm pretty sure she at some point has had to do burpees, and it was most likely the again rig. there there's no what if who knows, but it would have been like just having mandatory obstacles on that rig because that was the only thing that like would have been my saving grace right there. But um, it was great competition, so I maintained held second. Um, they had two elite waves. So it was kind of one of those like waiting games. We took off for the second lap, and I was just like, oh, man, I hope my standings stay. I hope someone in the second wave doesn't just come and smoke my time. Um, but, yeah, that was a really nice start to my season, other than the fact that Evan has rubbed it in my face like five times, if not more, because the day before the race, everybody's like, oh, hey, guys, you know, yeah, y'all are going to win it. And Evan's, and we both said, you know, he needs like eight hours to start warming up, and that, um, you know, he'd be like, top five, top 10, we have a good placement, but Evan kept saying, oh, she's going to win it and I'll be this, that. So yeah, that was comical. But to rub it in his face, I got all the congratulations with my big fat check walking through the airport. So what, uh, what? Yeah, that's true. Because you're a female. <laughs> and you also, you're, the picture you posted has like 300 likes and mine has like 100. Like, yeah, my big check picture too is like way more than yours. I was like, yeah, it's hard, yeah. You're like, I am a girl. And people I'll let, like, I'll like, let like, him like, have like, his like, victories. Like, <laughs> he can have his victories. <laughs> so anyway, I just, look, I just looked up uh, Angelique Chetonet, I'm going to say her name is. And according to her uh, Instagram, she looks French. She's wearing a French shirt. So I thought she said Russia, but she has a bunch of uh, France flags and stuff like that on. Okay, so, well, maybe it's her fiancé that was supposed to be there that's from Russia. Maybe that's sure. it. And maybe she lives with him now or something. I don't know. Anyway, We're all speculating, but yeah. <laughs> what what I so you know I think it's easy to judge an obstacle course race company when everything goes well because you just you're like all right that went well and you know there, essentially there's nothing you can do there's nothing there's nothing to do because everything went well I think it's better to look at a company when something does not go perfect and at Hannibal Race the third place the person who crossed who was quote unquote the third place female was actually a guy who had borrowed a female's bib. I don't know if it was intentional or if it was a mix-up or what the deal was, but essentially the third-place female was a dude running in a female bib. And, you know, at the time of the award ceremony, they didn't, you know, they didn't know that, or, you know, they, they called the third-place female's name. She didn't come up because she wasn't there. And then, essentially, they went and looked into it afterwards and discovered that it was in fact a male, and that Angelique had come in third. You know, so it was pretty cool to see. We, we, we were hanging out with the owner, me, and the following day. It was pretty cool to see him like take that extra effort and kind of run down to make sure the correct people were getting the correct awards. And then I watched him like personally call Angelique and apologize, and you know, thank her for coming to the race. And then you, you can so you saw today they put on their Instagram, you know, congratulating her for third place. So it was cool to see a company like go out of their way to correct something. Whereas I feel like I've been to other races where it's like, oh, we made a mistake, and all right, we're on to the next thing, and they just kind of ignore it. So I really yeah, like, like that. tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How you handle a bad situation and turn it into a positive is, you know, way, way higher than other. Just something going smooth and people not seeing that. Um, and I mean, from ground, like again, from being on both sides of like a vaccine build and then being the athlete, um, everything from the athlete perspective, I would say looked pretty flawless and from athletes and people being around, we never saw like an ambulance or a medic or any issues. Um, and then, you know, actually talking to the staff and the owners, you know, very little, I don't think there were any injuries. Um, no, there were no obstacle backups, no major crazy issues, which is just always a plus and a positive that doesn't always happen. But, um, I like to be able to report and say when that does happen. So it was a good experience race all around. And they did what was different from Lebanon when I went was, um, they had an award ceremony was post race. They basically all the waves went off and I think all the waves finished majority 
and then they did their award ceremony and there were still a lot of people hanging out and festival having fun so they you know called everybody up and did a good award ceremony and took pictures and it was it was awesome because in Lebanon they did it at a later date because it was televised so um, yeah that was a cool little change and nice addition yeah that was really cool and then you know we came off the stage with our oversized checks and people were like going nuts asking for pictures and you know it was like one person after another but the best picture was one uh, little kids two little kids came up and asked for Brenda's picture so that was cool to see but my favorite one was when we were going back to our stuff there was a older gentleman and a woman in a full hijab, right? So, you know, complete black dress, you know, bl- black gloves on. The only thing you can see are her eyes, and that's it. And she asked for a picture with Brenna, which I thought was really interesting. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll stay out of it because I'm a male. I don't want to, like, offend her or whatever. And then she asked for a picture with both of us and, like, the whole family. So that was pretty cool. I wanted a copy of the picture, but I didn't know if that would be offensive. So I was like, all right, I'll just uh... – but, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting to see because I – not something you see every day yeah i definitely agree with that and the, the taylor girls coming up and asking for my picture was like the highlight i mean there's so many highlights but that moment was awesome because i just I was like heartwarming giggling I was like oh yes okay please <laughs> so we're going to run through a couple of so william shell we, we posted we were going to be doing this episode so william shell one of the strength and speed athletes asked a bunch of questions we covered some of them already we're going to run through his questions real quick and then talk about the kuwait trip in general so one of his first question was, how did you deal with the time change? And the kind of the short answer is, I didn't. I just basically powered through it. So I try, I per- personally tried to use REMCAP, so Hammer Nutrition's natural sleep aid, to kind of help me fall into line. But other than that, it was just kind of, you know, caffeine when I needed to stay awake and kind of dealing with it, you know, with only an 8K race, you can kind of power through it, and it's not big of a deal versus when I tried to do Australia and True Grid Enduro, the 24-hour one, that was a lot. That was a lot harder. So, yeah, I would say, um, well, I would say just like in going there, I mean, I guess what I hear typically is going that way, jet lag in the beginning is what's supposed to happen. But for me, it was the excitement of the trip and the excitement of the race is what kept me going. Like, I never was really affected. I slept on the plane. Um, I didn't have any dietary food issues this time. So, I I snacked and ate every couple hours just so that I was nourished even through my um, sleeping. And then, yeah, I powered through, made it through the race, and then it wasn't until, like, the night after the race or, like, that next morning that everything hit me, and I was just really weird, and hours were off, and I just, it was kind of like, I came to do what I did, I raced, now I'm exhausted, and now I'm really thrown off, but we still had fun and things to do, so I was just like, coffee, coffee, coffee. (laughs) Oh, he also asked about the desert environment, and has that changed any dynamics in our footwear or other gear? I wore Merrill All Out Crush 2s, same shoes I wore for World's Toughest Mudder. And the sand and the uphill definitely took an extra toll, like Brenna was saying earlier on her body. And then on top of that, when I'm in first, I kind of, like it allows me to release more safety valves and kind of push my body even harder. So it's like four days post-event and my legs are still sore. Like I I I was running hard. I was running very, very hard to try to, you know, make sure I won once I realized I was in first. And, uh, you know, with the sand and the the uphills, I don't know. My my legs are sore still. Especially, like, a little, lot of the little stabilizer muscles below my feet and kind of, uh, sh- you know, ankles and shins area. So. Well, and that's what, like I said, I wore my Innovate Rock Lights. They were awesome. Um, I had a decision, like, I had mud gear, low ankle socks, and I had tall socks with me. And I just decided with the sand it would be best to wear the tall ones. Um, I will say I like sand because it's like, I mean, you get dirty and gritty and quote unquote muddy, but then it comes clean way better, I think, than mud. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I was pushing it and really was trying my hardest, but I didn't like make myself super duper sore like Evan. I don't know what happened for once. This is again, a weird situation that very weird outcomes. <laughs> But um, I will say my training with my coach, Nancy, and my diet played a lot into how I felt. But my hip flexors are kind of like the sand. And again, we, like the last bit, we were on like a tilt. And so everything just felt a little off from that. But um, no other gear changes really other than that. Um, go down to the next one. What do you got? The, what is the general attitude towards Americans there? Yeah, it's positive. Uh, I mean, no real issues. The I know – 
you know, if you're familiar with history, 1990, 1991, right, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and um, America, or a coalition led by America came in, Gulf War, right, and we kicked the Iraqis out, so pretty good memories of that, so they are pretty friendly towards Americans, so not really any issues there. Again, as long as you're respectful of the culture, I don't, I don't think there's any real issue. Um, I will say, because I've worked in Kuwait before, they are not fans of Iraqis, right? Like, when Iraq came into Kuwait in 1990, they burned, raped, and pillaged, like, everything. Like, it was bad. You know, the, the museums, if you go to the museum downtown, like, the Kuwaiti National Museum is just, like, I mean, there's, like, nothing in it because the Iraqis came in and essentially ransacked it, right? They have a couple of other, like, historic sites that are, you know, essentially Kuwaitis that were making a, you know, it's like the Kuwaiti Alamo, uh, per se. So it's kind of in the southern part of the city where a bunch of Kuwaitis were defending a, you know, building and there's all like bullet holes and, you know, explosion marks and stuff like that all over the building. So they do not like Iraqis. So um, do not bring that up. That's a, that's a touchy subject. And as it should be, right, if your neighbor came in and burned part of your house and, you know, killed your dog and, you know, um, did terrible things to your family, you would uh, you would not like them like them either. So I totally get it. But yeah, no, no. Kind of leading into the like you're talking almost the big social differences that we should be aware of. That's what he asked, like do's and don'ts. So that kind of plays into that. Um, I will speak on like again. We stayed at a really nice hotel resort, so there's people from everywhere that come there. But going to Kuwait, I of course everybody was questioning like, Bruno, why would you do that? And you know, are you gonna, you have to cover yourself up and blah blah blah. Be prepared. Well, never once, I just want to let everybody know, never once did someone come up to me and tell me or look at me weird because I wasn't covered. Again, I'm I'm American visiting with friends and there with a very awesome host. They weren't going to, like, they weren't going to be that way. Everybody was hospitable and polite. No one was very judgy. I mean, there were a couple, not like staring moments, but a couple times when, like we're in our race gear and again, we just stood out and you could tell that people were kind of looking and seeing like what's going on, checking us out, but nothing rude or out of the crazy ordinary. Um, but like the pool. So I knew there was a pool and like we were right on the beach and there'd be a time to go out and swim or get in the water. Um, there's a sign and everything. I was again, surprised how much English everything was both in like Arabic and English. Um, but there's a pool sign that said, pool attire and it had like a bikini with a check and a one piece with the check and like a bathing suit boys bathing suit with the check mark so again you could wear basically whatever was normal to you in your bathing suit i was just respectful to the culture and knowing so i came with a one piece just because i wanted to at least do my part in covering up and being modest and respectful um but if i showed up with the bikini it would have been fine also so that's just kind of one of those cultural things that everybody was telling me, like, oh, you have to be prepared for this. Well, people, you don't know. You're going based off what you've seen on TV and the news. And I went with an open mind, and I want to go back and will go back and recommend everybody kind of putting it on their list. Again, like Lebanon, it's one of those places that it's awesome to say I've been, and there's history and cultural things to learn and go experience. Yeah, absolutely. Now – Let's kind of, we're going to start transitioning a little more away from the race into the kind of the experience in general. So our hosts were Amin Dib, the owner of Hannibal Race, and then uh, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. Hiba, Hiba. I keep wanting to say Hiba, but it's it, that's not right. It's I think it's Hiba. So um, I can't pronounce her last name. I say Qatar, but it's Qatar. Qatar. It's like a G H sound. Um, but yeah, Hibba, the, the, the two of them were awesome, right? Like I can't even – I'm going to try to describe how how hospitable they were, but like it's not going to do it justice because, I mean, the hotel was amazing. And then every time we went – every time we did something, it was like, oh, that was so good. It, you know, you can't top that. And then they would top it at the next thing, right? Like the breakfast and lunch uh, buffet at the hotel was just phenomenal, right? Literally had like a little bit of everything, you know, local food or, if you, you know – snacks and all, all sorts of good stuff in there and then after the race they're like yeah yeah. the saturday night we're doing a you know post-race party it's a barbecue at the hotel and we're like oh cool barbecue got it so i guess barbecue means a different thing in kuwait because we show up and it's like it's like a wedding reception i was like what is going on there's five t- 
five tables worth of desserts, right? Just desserts. That's five tables. They had three tables worth of like salad and fruits and hummus and bamba ganoush and, you know, different dips and stuff like that. And then they had like seven or eight stations that you would see at a wedding, right? So there was like a, a gyro station. There was a full lamb, right? With like arm, like, you know, feet and head still on, skewered, right? There was a stir fry station. There was a, a seafood station. There was pasta station. There was like a mixed grill station. Yeah, with the kebabs. Um, and there's like one or two other ones. It was just so ridiculous, you know? Like, like I was like laughing because it was so over the top. And it's like, it's like I think I think in America we've been doing post-race parties wrong. Like, that's all I, that's all I kept thinking, you know? Like, um, there was no alcohol, though, because obviously alcohol is illegal. So, you know, a lot of times they serve fresh juice. So that's like their... That's like their thing instead. So they had like fresh watermelon juice, and that was really good. Yeah. So. And then the tables. I mean, it was like full linen table service and like linen chairs, and it, it was just a poolside with lights and a DJ. And I mean, yeah, it was it was done up quite nice. Let's just say post race was nothing short of. I mean, again, I was like, yeah, there's no way that the race day could be better. And then boom, it was better. <laughs> And speaking of poolside, so the race ends, we go back to the hotel, and Brenna's like, oh, let's go for a dip in the hot tub. And I'm like, yeah! Like, that's what we did in Lebanon. It was super relaxing, you know, after a nice race, kind of loosen up the muscles. So, you know, we go over, <laughs> we change into our bathing suits, my wife and daughter stay in the hotel room because they're sleepy, and we go down to the, what we think is the hot tub, and it's bubbling, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. So and it's the size of a hot tub. The size, the size of a hot, hot tub, tub right? So, so <laughs> we get next to it, and... I'm glad I didn't just step in because I put one foot in and I was like, ah, I was like, it's freezing. It wasn't just, it wasn't like room temperature water. It was cold. It was like a pool, a hot tub sized pool of ice cold water and like the, yeah, bubbling. And the, so like I'm screaming, you know, Brennan's laughing and the, the, the guy, the, one of the workers is like the, the, the warm, the hot tubs over there. And we're like, oh, clearly. Yeah. We made a mistake. Clearly. <laughs> So we, we grab our stuff and we're like, oh, thank you. This is going to be much better. And we walk over and, you know, you can call it a hot tub, but a better description would be a warm pool. because Well, we was... were still confused because you could tell we walked up to it and we we're like, I don't see a hot tub. Again, I'm thinking American hot tub. And we see like another what would be like the size of like a kiddie pool separate, you know, just like a secondary smaller pool with a waterfall, a rock waterfall. We're kind of looking around. The guy comes up behind us. He's like pointing, like, "Yeah, that's what you want." And I look at each other. I'm like, "Okay, wow, a whole pool at the hot tub, awesome." <laughs> anyway, we got in and like basically, I had to huddle around the jet to stay even remotely warm. Probably stayed in for about thirty minutes, and I was shaking most of the time. But I was in the middle of editing that uh, video I put up, so we basically stayed in there and, and dealt with it. Yeah. So cultural difference. They don't. I guess have I guess I mean normally it's hot there. <laughs> right, yeah. If it's 110 degrees, I bet you that ice, um, that ice tub or whatever it's called, right, feels feels awesome. We also did the typical uh, Middle Eastern thing and went to the mall on Sunday. So they their malls are like over the top big. So we're talking like Mall of America and bigger type stuff. So the one we went to is called the Avenues. And it is, um, I mean, it's just enormous. Brenna, how would you, how would you describe the avenues? Yeah. So imagine like if you've ever been to Atlanta, Phipps Plaza, fanciest mall you've ever seen, or like an indoor Rodeo drive times 10 in size or Phipps Plaza from Atlanta times 20 in size. Or uh, like the, like some of the, uh, shopping in Las Vegas, but I know some of the shopping in Las Vegas, but imagine like doubling the distance between everything so there's just like a lot of open space in there you know like you could you could drive like several cars down the middle yeah yeah and it was just i mean there was like giant palm trees in the center and then here again people this is what's hilarious and it was not just in the mall but right next to our hotel was the first shocker i mean i saw starbucks and mcdonald's i'm like uh, yeah go figure because that's everywhere but right next to our hotel was a five guys burgers which was like jaw-dropping shocked but in this mall, and even closer, there was Cheesecake Factory, Texas Roadhouse, which of course I had to take a picture in front of. Um, uh, shoot, I don't know. There were like three other things: Canes Chicken, 
and like mm-hmm. a bunch of other things that were American. And then the stores, other than like designers that we recognize that aren't necessarily American, but they're designers we know, there's like a, the body shop and Victoria's Secret. And then of course, Louis Vuitton and then 10 times fancier than that. And I think two different movie theaters and they were called like phases. Like we were only in phase four and I, there was, you know, like however many more that we didn't see um, and restaurants and everything. It was it was ridiculous, and I love shopping, but it was one of those, like, I am not buying anything. This was a look only. <laughs> yeah, the, the prices are, are going to be a lot cheaper in the U.S. if you can if you compare the prices. But but it was just jaw-dropping, cool to see. Lots of pictures on um, social media, if you want to see. It's kind of, again, we went on, so Sunday there is a work day. Um, not to us, you know, a Christian holiday, so it was different going in and we got to see rush hour traffic finally. Like I did see some crazy traffic. Um, lanes don't mean anything. No signals are used. Uh, <laughs> you go whatever speed limit until the locals know where the speed cameras are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, just like in America, I think the most dangerous part is driving to and from the race. You know, people people drive pretty fast there. So. But, I mean, we were taken care of, so. Yeah, that food. So, yeah. We had the we had Lebanese food there because that's like okay. I mean, the owner and our hosts are from Lebanon, and so we got to have a very delicious Lebanese lunch um, when we were in the mall with them shopping and browsing, and it was amazing. I get the food there, like Evan has said before, he loves eating it all day long. But even for me now, I just didn't have any fried greasy stuff for four days or whatever, and could stuff my face and not feel guilty or sick afterwards and it was just deliciousness i feel like i ate so much i was i was sad to leave and i was also like oh i don't think i can i don't think i can stay in this level of eating for for another couple days you know it's just uh it was so it was so good well i was gonna say that like people that don't know and they're planning like racecations and they're going to europe and everything like yeah it's a cool race okay but you can see a whole different culture. And I'm sorry, but when I went to London and Europe, food there is not exciting. And I've been told on multiple occasions when you go, you should eat Indian food. And to me, I'm going to Europe and London eating Indian food, it just kind of sounds funny. But like in Lebanon and in Kuwait, the Mediterranean cuisine, oh, so delicious. And they have every other type of cuisine too. But that, that alone is amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we won from the race was uh, they gave us our checks were oversized, right? So they're they're like the typical race, you, the size of the check you'd see at like Conquer the Gauntlet or Savage. But we got to take them home, and um, you know we're essentially traveling. Treat they kind of like they did that out of like a extra bonus for us. So <laughs> that was a thank you for that. <laughs> oh, and then they gave us like an envelope, which we assumed was a check when we left. And Brenna, like, we're in the van with, like, you know, 15 other people heading back to the hotel. And Brenna's, like, like opening her envelope. And she's like, <gasps> and I was like, what? And she's like, it's not a check. So it, it was, it was like, hundreds. It was <laughs> $100 bills. So. Well, I just wanted to verify and, like, see if that my name was spelled right or something. Because, again, we were leaving a country with a check. And I wasn't paying attention. But I was trying to be discreet. And I opened it. I was just like, oh, my goodness gracious. I wasn't expecting that. Because, again... The checks that I have won sometimes or podium prizes in the U.S. are like a piece of paper, so it was kind of comical. But the big check, yeah, William had a question of like, how do you travel home with a giant check? <laughs> so I mean, it's pretty simple. Well, my big concern was getting through getting through customs initially at Kuwait, right? Because I've traveled through Jordan before, and they've confiscated or they tried to confiscate my fat grips. They gave those back, and they ended up confiscating one of my atomic climbing holds because it, you know, it's like a looks like a you know uh whatever a pool ball yeah it looks like a weapon right so they took that so i feel like anytime they see something that they're not familiar with or it's out of the ordinary they they don't like it so they'll just take it just to be safe so i was worried they weren't going to let us through with these giant checks uh but they did uh brenna kept getting congrats yeah well we had a game plan we had a game plan we were like i'm gonna go first we're gonna play that little like Redhead American cute girl card of like, all right, you go first, and we'll see if yours goes through, because then the other one should go through, and then we were also kind of giggling, like, through security, like, should we split lanes, and you try that way, and I try this way? Again, it was nothing serious, but, like, we got through one checkpoint, and we look at each other, like, all right, it's one down, and we get through another one, and they, like, scan it, we're like, okay, that's 
the next step? Um, but everybody, I mean, for me, it was funny because, again, yeah, Evan, you beat me. Woohoo. But I got congratulations from, like, every security person. They're like, oh, awesome, congratulations. And then Evan would be right behind me and just, like, walk you by. Didn't and say anything <laughs> like, oh, you're a dude? Not interested. Okay. Yeah. And then so past security, I will say the airlines, you just, people, you have to be, you know, polite and nice. So I just would ask the stewardess, flight attendant, um, do you mind, can you put this in your closet, the captain's closet, the coat closet, first class yeah. closet? And they did the whole way for me. Um, I know our teammate Ashley has traveled with her like savage axe before, I believe she had to fly with. And she's had to fly with some interesting things, the gauntlet gloves and a couple different things. So it's just, um, most of it goes as long as it's not going to like, you have to be careful. I think mud ninja or whichever one I believe has like swords and um, ninja stars that don't really make it through the airport, but no, that's obvious. Be, you have to check that. So I, yeah. I will say, well, you got has, I'd say my biggest scare was like, I made it through all of Kuwait and Qatar. And then it was when I was in Chicago that the people were kind of like, um, well, are 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 you gonna check that? And I said, no, I made it from Kuwait this far. And then it was when I got on my plane. They're like, I don't know if there's gonna be room for that. And I said, well, it, I think I can go in the coat closet. Well, oh, I don't know about that. And I was like, my last flight out of four, but it made it, so no yeah, big yeah. deal. So not much different than mine. My, I mine made it from I Kuwait through Turkey to Toronto into Canada. And then I get on my plane to go from Canada back to uh, North Carolina, which is where I'm working this week. And I'm like, can you put this in the coat closet? And they're like, we don't have a coat closet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> She's like, you can put it in the overhead. So I was like, I don't think this is going to fucking fit, you know, because it's a smaller plane. So I go to put it in the overhead. It doesn't fit. And I was like, all right. Yeah, there's empty seats on the plane. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it in this empty seat here. It's not going to be a problem. And, of course, the stewardess is like, you can't leave the check there. And it's like, there's literally no one sitting there, and it's a piece of cardboard. Like, just leave it alone. She's like, no, we're going to have to check this. And I was like, I was like, please, it is not going to survive if you check it. Like, it, it will shatter. It will be broken. And she's like, all right, we'll, we'll try something else. So she somehow shimmies it under the seat up near the front. And then when I got off the plane, she's like, I'm like, how did you get this in here? And she's like, I'll get it out for you. So she reaches under and like starts pulling it and like bends it and I'm like I'm like <gasps> you know and I was like oh no it's gonna break and then uh, she made it uh, you know she just bent it a little bit and it it basically went back to its normal shape but it uh, I was like I freaking carry this thing for like literally thirty hours and I was like this woman's about to throw it under the plane and get have it get crushed by other luggage so. <laughs> Uh, and and, uh, i still gotta fly so i'm in north carolina right now i still gotta fly it back to kansas city um in two days so see i'm i'm gonna laugh the states are gonna be your biggest problem (laughs) i'm gonna look see i'll make a scene there i won't make a scene in in kuwait or turkey because i don't want to get arrested but i'll make a scene in the united states so oh man um i will say so i think we kind of like answered all those questions i believe but i was gonna say just coming back um like from travels to the time change question. I mean, yesterday was probably, I have no idea how long we were up by the time because we got like picked up at our air from the hotel at 1 a.m. because our flight was so early. And then that's 1 a.m. Kuwait time. And then I think our like air travel time for your wife and I was like 18 hours total air time with like, and then add in layers. And so 24, 30 hours of traveling and you had more. Um, so today being back in the States and being home, um, I did come home last night to Tulsa and uh, Tracy picked me up at the airport and I had to go straight to it. I didn't have to, but a uh, staff, Billy Diner staff party. Um, I got dressed up in formal attire, formal <laughs> dress with a suit with Tracy and went to a party last night for like an hour before I crashed. And today has been one of those like, I'm foggy. I feel really weird, just like weak and out of it and disoriented. Um, I've been kind of trying to like force myself to eat just to make sure I'm eating because I just feel really off and weird. But um, back to work tomorrow. But you've been straight working and probably yeah. need to end this so you can go to bed. <laughs> I got back to my hotel at three and went to work at seven. <laughs> so, but I, I slept a little bit on the plane, um, both plane rides home. Again, those REM caps from Hammer Nutrition came in handy. 
Oh my gosh, I didn't even tell you real fast, everybody. I was so lucky. I have to have window seats on my flights. And I requested all the way, like, once I got to the other countries and dealt with um, Qatar, I can't pronounce it, airlines. I got window seats. And then my Chicago to Tulsa flight, I was supposed to have a window seat. Ugh, got all messed up. Some lady wanted to sit with her husband, and the flight attendant yelled at me and made me move. And oh man, I threw a hissy fit because it was the last leg of my travels, and I was just over it. And I looked at the lady. I had to sit in the aisle. And some of y'all might be like boohoo, but I can't sleep or function on the aisle seat. And after racing and traveling, I was like a jittery mess. I looked at the couple, and I politely, well, as politely as possible, I said, "Ma'am." Next time, you might just want to wait and ask before you take someone's seat because I specifically requested and picked that window. <laughs> and oh, she looked at me and she's like, yeah, I, was so, I was so over it. They offered me an Oreo. They're like, you want an Oreo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the end of my trip. <laughs> anyway, um, again, for those who are like, concerned about safety – my wife flew over, who is five months pregnant, um, obviously no issues, and we brought our four-year-old daughter, so again, no issues. Um, they both... That's popular. They loved her. Yeah, I mean, little blonde girl and blue eyes, so they were, I mean, they, you know, that's like an anomaly there, so they were, everyone loved her, right? Like, everyone wanted to take pictures with her and pinch her cheeks and hold her hand, and it was like, you know, she she's... She doesn't understand why she's tired from the time zone change. So um, she was a little bit grumpy at times, but you know, at night, she but even like the up. restaurant workers were so nice, and uh, I mean, everywhere, yeah. But safety-wise, I mean, the fact that like you felt comfortable with your wife and daughter traveling without you over there, and then I mean, she hung out at the race by herself without you while you're racing. Again, yeah. it was no no fears other than, and we've said it before. I think when we went to Lebanon that. There's places in America that you, like, just don't go because they're bad areas, bad neighborhoods. Like, certain places in Atlanta, D.C., everywhere has a bad neighborhood. So it was kind of the same thing. We weren't, like, stuck in any bad situation or bad neighborhood. But they are there, obviously. Let's see what else. Any, uh... I got that. Yeah, but it covers the whole trip. More pictures, more pictures to come. Yeah, I mean, there's... The photographer... Yeah, we produced a ton of content. If you go back to Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team and Strength and Speed and then Brenna's uh, pages, we, we're dropping videos pretty much all weekend and pictures all weekend. So, And they've got professional photos coming because there was like several photographers on course. They even had like a professional Red Bull photographer was there. So, I mean, that's exciting to see from a race series. Some of our race series don't even have as awesome photos as theirs. <laughs> And one of my favorite, I, like, to show you, like, the complete OCR nerd I am, one of my favorite things was they gave us, like, a custom race jersey, right, with our names in the back. And that was, like, that was, like, one of my favorite parts of the trip. I was like, ooh, custom race jersey, you know, like. Yeah, it was, like, a surprise to us. They, you know, put his last name and Red Beast on it. And I wouldn't even mention the swag. Like, I think we both took pictures. But um, they did, like, a race packet pickup the day before with a custom drawstring bag that was logoed with the race logo and everything. Um, you got a, a wristband that was reversible, double-sided wristband, um, a buff, and then every wave had specific colored tied to their wave to like designate what wave headband, logoed headband, um, and then they like your race jersey, finisher shirt, and and then the fi the finisher's medal. So the the finisher's medal is like it's heavy duty. It reminds me of like a smaller version of the like the Noram medals where it's like super heavy and super thick. So that's really cool. And then they have like one side is like all silver and the other side is colorized. So, you know, red and silver. So, and then these cut like the, the ribbon is nice too, right? It's, it's got the logo and stuff. So they really, they really did a nice job. And, you know, I think what was for the coolest parts for me, you know, this is my fourth Hannibal race technically, right? I did one in I did two the first time I was in Lebanon. So 15, end of 15, early 16, and then me and Brenna went back in 2017, and then this is my first one in Kuwait in 2019. So it's been cool to kind of see the company progress over the last couple of years, and they just keep making it better and better and keep adding more things. Um, so it kind of brings a lot of the things we really enjoy about OCR here in America overseas. I feel like we did a good job of covering everything. We've talked a long time. You'll probably fall asleep, but um, 
I don't know. I think that was, I, again, it, there aren't enough words to explain how gracious everybody was. And I do recommend, I'm like, some of y'all might wonder that we just had an awesome experience and something like blessed to have, but check it out. I mean, I'm going back, you're going back. If anybody wants to come and join, now you know other people like we'll be there so you won't be the only americans you won't feel weird or nervous and again there's history there's historical things you can do and see make a family vacation out of it so um and again i can't say enough thanks to amin and hippa and uh Kareen, who wasn't we didn't get to see yeah. and sam and the whole hannibal crew family lebanon kuwait amazing like much love thanks world life experiences and I can't, I'm blessed and thankful. And to you, Evan, because I wouldn't have experienced this without you. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that's it for me. Yeah. They were just like, I'm just like, I know it's hard, again, it's hard to convey how, how great they were to us. It was just such a wonderful experience and uh, definitely truly feel blessed that. And y'all would, I'm, it's not just that it was you and me. If anybody else came like and showed that they wanted to check out a race series from another side of the world, their hospital, like, Amin would be so gracious if any American showed up and showed interest in his race series because he is that passionate about the sport. So he would be so happy to see others come over. So I, I recommend it. Absolutely. All right. I think that wraps it up. We've been talking for a while. I'm going to go to sleep. Sounds good. <laughs> so good. Go look at pictures online. Yeah. A shout out to my wife because uh, she's a trooper and with my daughter being real fussy, she uh, she handled it real well, and yeah, can't say enough good things. I know some people, you know, like I, I keep a lot of my private life private and don't post that to social media. Like my social media is pretty much obstacle course racing only, so you don't get to see a lot of those pictures. But um, yeah, big shout out to her; she did uh, such a phenomenal job, and um, yeah. And and I'm glad. Thank you, Amy, for um, coming because. If you didn't go, I probably would have been doing a lot of traveling by myself. And it was a lot of traveling to do by myself. So I'm glad you were there with me. <laughs> awesome. All right, Brenna, we'll catch up with you later. Yes. Nighty night, sir. Night night. <laughs>